Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast. Today's guest, Dr. Paul Etchison. Great conversation. We're going to get into a bunch of stuff. He's going to talk a little bit about his secret sauce and what makes him unique and special and successful. And that's not by accident. It's intentional. That's a big word that we're going to use. And going to talk a little bit about some of the other things and culture and how important that is to him and his practice. And he sold to a DSO and his practice continues to thrive. And it's still an expression of him, which I think is a beautiful thing. So as always, the fee-for-service dentist podcast brought to you by Kettenbach Dental. Kettenbach Dental is excited to announce their first major improvement in fluoride varnish treatments called Profisil, P-R-O-F-I-S-I-L, Profisil. It is no alcohol or resin. Instead, it's very smooth and lubricious feel. No more grit. Contact Kettenbach today for more details and do more varnishes that patients will appreciate. Call 877-532-2123 or visit KettenbachUSA.com. If you like the podcast, share it with your friends, click like, subscribe, all that good stuff. If you don't like it, well, please contact me, sunnyspira at gmail.com or 607-624-2962 is my cell phone, and I do take text messages as well. Enjoy the show, folks. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe that the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet. While others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast and these are our stories. Welcome to the fee-for-service dentist podcast, Dr. Sonny Spear. I'm still trying to work out this new platform, so I apologize if the audio tends to be off a hair, but we're getting through it. Today, I got a real pro, so he's going to help me a tremendous amount. <laughs> Dr. Paul Etchison is with us. I know that Paul and Drew, our favorite Drew, go back away, so it's really, really uh, an honor to speak to Paul. He is the host of the Dental Practice Heroes podcast. He's authored two books. One of which, here's a shameless plug, one of which I own. I own the Dental Practice Heroes Volume 2. And so he has Volume 1 and Volume 2. And he's a coach, practice owner. He's just, his personal practice is just in process of dropping Delta in August. So that's a little exciting. Uh, kind of going to talk to him a little bit about that. And patient experience a little bit. And a little bit about, I think he has a course coming up and a few other things. So Wealth of knowledge. Please welcome Paul. How are you doing, Dr. Hey, Paul? How are you? Thanks, Sonny. Thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Great. That was great a great intro, man. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's it's all rehearsed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you list, the list of questions you just showed me. There you go. That's right. <laughs> for full disclosure, the list of questions comprises of a blank sheet of paper. So yeah. uh, this is going to be very organic and, and very uh, authentic. So Let's start out. So when you got into, let's talk about when you got into dentistry. When did you get into dentistry? Uh, yeah, so I graduated in 2009. I did an associateship for about two and a half years, did a startup in 2012. All right, and We cool. started up with five operatories and grew it until we couldn't grow anymore. And then we expanded into 11 operatories in 2018. And then we kept growing that. And then I ended up partnering with the DSO about almost exactly three years ago. 
And ever since then, I kind of just been hanging out the practice. Not, I wouldn't say absentee, but I'm not there all that much. I'm there about six days a month. And it's, it's been really cool. It's been great. It's been a great partnership and it's been fun to kind of cut back a little bit, but I still do run the practice. I just don't do a whole lot of clinical anymore. And just recently we've tapped out, man. We, uh, I wouldn't say we tapped out, but we were at capacity and we had to do something. So we just start, we dropped Delta and that's been, that's been quite a trip. It's been a ride, but it's been going well. So I, I'm happy that we did it. How big a portion of your practice is Delta? Delta was 33%. And I want to say last time I checked that we had maybe something like 8,200 active patients. So it was a lot of people. And 8,200 Delta? 8,200 total patients. Okay. So that would be like, roughly almost, oh, almost yeah. 3,000 patients. Yeah. Right. And, you know, when we did it, when we started telling everybody about it, it was totally cool. They're like, oh, wow, I'm still going to come. I'll still book my six months. And then I think when it came down to it was what we're seeing since August, we're now three months into it, is that while about 85% of the people were like, it's cool, I'll book my next one, I'd say maybe it's about half and half right now that are actually showing up. Once they find out, oh, I got to pay that out of pocket, and then I got to get reimbursed, we're doing our best to try to keep them. But it's we're in a good spot where we did this for a capacity issue, so... I don't get all that upset when we lose patients, but I'd say, you know, what upsets me the most about it is when somebody writes an angry message on like a Facebook ad, they comment on there and they say, gosh, I wish you guys, I don't know why you dropped Delta. I don't know why. I don't know why you stopped taking Delta stuff like that. That bothers me. That, that, that hurts. Yeah, me but that bit, is but, like yeah. one of the best advertising you can get, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because, I, know, because I mean, that's what, I what do. they're I saying is it. they love you. They're like, we love yeah. you, man. We want to stay, but I don't know why you dropped it. Well, yeah. Yeah. I know. I just, I wish they'd stay, but I get it. I mean, if, I, I, I would say if I was a patient, me personally, I will pay extra money for better care, but I think most people, they, they want to stick with the, the insurance there, at least to have to pay and get reimbursed by Delta. I understand it's an inconvenience, so I'm not too mad when people leave. Which but state are you uh, in? I'm in Illinois. Illinois. Okay. So yeah, you're the same as New York. So Delta will not send the check to you no matter what. Yeah, Unless you're no, in they network. Won't. Right. No, and I, and I think the patients get the impression that that's because of what we're doing. And it's it's really not. We tell them, you know, every other insurance carrier has no problem doing it, but not Delta. So it's, it is. I mean, that's, that's, our, that's been our line to the patients. That is the pain that we've known as Delta. That's mm -hmm. what we keep saying. So, did, uh, did Delta send yeah. out their letter to their, to their uh, subscribers and kind of slam you? They a actually, bit they did not, you know, and really? I thought they were for sure going to do that. And because we've got a lot of patients or we have uh, team members that have Delta. So we thought for sure we'd, we'd see it and we kept waiting for it, waiting for it. It never came. They did not like the letter I sent out. I actually got called about that letter. They did not like that at all. And they thought it was, um, I, mean, I, I don't even know if I should be talking about it. They didn't like it. Let's just leave it like that. It worked out. Everything. <laughs> we're, we're friends again, I guess. Uh -huh. And um, but there, there was a period where I was like, oh, OK, what, what what did I write that was wrong? But I don't know if it was a tactic. It ended up getting us. They ended up getting us to stay in network for two extra months. That was like the compromise. And they said they were going to come back and negotiate and they didn't, but who, who knows? I don't know. But I'm, see now, I'm, I'm happy. Just, just, we broke just up that, nicely, I guess. But just that right there, they said, we'll renegotiate yeah. two months and then they don't. Yeah. And, and nobody can hold their feet to the fire because you'll get sued and they have a lot of money and a lot of clout behind them. Yeah. That's not, it's, it's just not fair. You know, no, I mean, that's why like when when they did not like the letter I sent, that's exactly what I was thinking. That's yeah. why I'm like saying, well, I, I shouldn't say too much. Right. I yes. love Delta. They're the best. <laughs> hey, Delta, we could still be friends. Still have, they're still coming over for Thanksgiving. They're still going to be in my house. So me, my mom and Delta. <laughs> so so talk to me. First of all, I got to ask you a little bit more of a background. Why did you go into dentistry? At what age did you kind of make that decision? And oh man, it's going to sound so stupid. You know, I, I'll tell you what I wrote on my entrance. My on my entrance exam for dental school, it said like, "Oh, I chipped my tooth when I was six, and I was so magically wondrous about dentistry and all this mm -hmm. stuff." Um, I was an advertising major in dentistry or in, in, in before dental school, and I didn't really love it. And I had a really nice like internship coming up that was from a family friend of my stepdad okay. and the guy that was getting me this internship ended up having a stroke going on disability. I don't know what happened to him, but I lost, I didn't get that. I didn't get that hookup 
And that kind of took some wind out of my sails. And I was like, you know what? I don't know how much I really like advertising. Man, my grades are really good. Maybe I should go to medical school and be a doctor. And then the more I thought about that, I was like, man, I, I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want one. I don't want the pressure. I want to be able to screw something up and somebody die, doesn't die. And um, not that I want to screw it up, but I don't want that pressure. And I just the idea of just sick people, hospitals, man, I, my experience going to the doctor's office growing up wasn't great. I can't say my experience going to the dental office was any better. My, my dad had HMO insurance. It was like a dungeon. It smelled bad. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I had went to a, a, a dentist when I was in undergrad just because I chipped a tooth. And I remember going in there. I thought I like walked into the future. I had never had an experience like it. So I was like, if I'm going to be a dentist, I'm going to be like that dentist that I went to up to date. You know, everybody's wearing the same color scrubs. It's going to look really nice. We're going to take great care of people. And then coming from my advertising background in undergraduate, like thinking this whole idea of priming. And what I mean by priming is that's a term that means people will tend to think and experience what you tell them to think and experience. And where this comes up um, a lot, and I like to talk about this fifth, third bank study where they just... They did these customer service oriented ads in a certain market and they didn't do it in one market. And the people that were in the ads with the market or in the market with the ads, they consistently rated the customer service better. And when they asked, why did they rate it? They would say things like, oh, these people are just so nice. They're so helpful. Oh my gosh. But the, the fact of the matter is none of them said, well, because we saw the ads and the ads affected our subconscious. And, and that's what it was. It's this idea of priming or idea of priming. So I was like, I'm going to be very clear on what my brand is and, and how we portray that with, I'm going to tell the team, we're going to be very um, detailed and we're going to let the patient know what we want them to feel. Not like in a forceful, like manipulative way, but we have the bar set so low for dentistry on experience. I just wanted to blow patients out of the water. I wanted to raise that bar. I wanted every patient to have that experience I had when I went to that place while I was in college. Uh, the dental office in college that was really nice. And and that's just kind of the path I took and like working with my hands, just got in there. I, I went to school with a lot of people that didn't like it. You know, I'd say 50-50. A lot of them were doing it because their dads were dentists or their mom was a dentist. Mm -hmm. I didn't have anybody in my family that was a dentist, but I, man, I, sh I loved the clinical part and I loved everything about learning and taking courses. And I was just so passionate and just loved every ounce of dentistry. And then when I opened my practice, it was the same way, just the practice management. It was just so much fun. So I lucked yeah. out, I guess I just kind of jumped into it haphazardly, but it worked out. I, I was going to ask you about why the startup and it just, to me, two and two equals five here because mm -hmm. advertising background, you're passionate about it. You could, you could sense it, you can feel it, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm not that smart, but I can feel it. And <laughs> so you got that aspect in it. And at the time, right, and everybody says, "Oh, your startup, you're crazy." But look at look at look at your track record now, you know. And yeah. it was with great intention. New word I've learned doing this podcast: intentional. Be act intentionally, think intentionally. So you you had a fairly clear vision, right? Of mm -hmm. what you like. You said, I, "I tell my team, this is what I want it to look and feel like, and I want my patients to feel a certain way." To, to give me a little more information about that because I've never really heard anybody express that um, sentiment. Mm -hmm. I want my patients to feel X. Talk, yeah, talk, talk, I, I expand wanna, on that. I want to be like the Disneyland of dentistry. You know, I want to take care of every little detail, every little piece of the experience. I want to put a focus onto it. And dentistry and dental practice management to me is all about just making every single area efficient. In, in, in intentional. And that's what we do with the patient experience. So I have family and friends come through my office all the time. And they say, Oh, my gosh, you've got the best people. It is so awesome. Everything runs so well at your office. I can't believe the, the, the person's so nice. Everybody's so nice. Every single person is so nice. And what they don't realize is all the training and all the role playing and all the little things that we're checking a box. I mean, we're mentally checking a box. This has to happen. We have to say this. We're going to do this part. We're doing this part. We're doing this part. It's going in this order and this order. And when the patient moves through that office and has an interaction with maybe, I don't know, four to six right. different people, mm -hmm. and every single person is friendly, every single person they walked by in the hallway said, hi, how you doing? When they walked out the door, every single person say, have a great day. Thanks for coming. Um, you know, there, there's all these little details that we do. I'll just, I'll give an example for one is that 
say we're milling a crown and we're going to sit the patient up or I'll even go further back. When we lean the patient back, we all say, is it okay if I lean you back? And they're like, of course, I'm at the dental office. What kind of dumb question is that? There's, they always say yes, but that just shows the level of hospitality that we're willing to provide, that we're asking for permission to lay them back. Now, when we're milling a crown, we just scan the crown. We're going to sit them up. The assistants can design it and do all that stuff. Right when I sit the patient up, I say, hey, everything went great. You know, it, I'm really glad that we got to that tooth. That crack wasn't too deep. I think it's going to be okay. Everything's going to work out. Um, we're going to let you sit here for about 35, 40 minutes, and then we'll come back and glue the crown on. And I, I'm like, any questions? No, good. Hey, can I get you water or coffee while you're waiting? And they're just like, uh, no, no, I'm okay. But that is the level of hospitality I want. And, and, and sometimes they do say they do. And I'll either go get them a bottle of water or I'll have my assistant or somebody else do it. But it's those little touch points. And when we look at brands, product brands, things that mm -hmm. sell stuff, Coca-Cola, um, let's just say Coke. Your whole experience with that brand is you see marketing and then you buy a Coke and it tastes the same every, every time, unless you get it from the fountain. Hold, and hold, hold on a second. Awesome. Yeah. C can we talk about Coke without someone coming after us? We, we could talk freely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's what, when I said Delta, I was actually meaning Coke. I was that's talking about I the airplane. I thought you were talking about the airplane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what it was. So, um, but you, you Coke. So you go and you buy it at maybe the gas station. You drink it. It's great. Now, if that person at the gas station is rude to you, you're not going to be like, I'm never drinking a Coke ever again. You don't, you know, they have nothing to do with Coke. Your only person that's going to deal with Coke is that maybe you call the customer service number because you're a weirdo. I don't know why you would do that. But you see the ads and you experience the product. Now, we're in dentistry. We're in a, a service brand. To experience our product, which I guess you could say is a tangible thing like a filling or a crown, I don't, I think it's pretty intangible. We're in a service industry. You're going to have to interact with four to six different people. In four to six different people might be having a bad day. Somebody's spouse might not be treating them that well, or they might be going through something at home with their kids. They might be sick. They might not have slept that well. And they might just not have been raised with the best communication skills. Mm -hmm. So there are all these opportunities for us to drop the ball and do something that kind of hurts our brand. And what really stinks for us is that if we have something, what I call an off-brand experience, off-brand touch point, that's going to hurt our brand a lot more than all those little things we did right. So the stuff that goes wrong hurts a lot more. So we got to do so many things right that we can offset that possibility that one thing goes wrong. And I want to make it so nothing goes wrong. Now, I have systems in my practice. Everything runs really well in my practice. I have a great leadership team. I got 40 plus employees. I love them all. Things still go wrong all the time because we have humans and humans make mistakes. Mm -hmm. But if we just let things to chance, I think this is where we kind of run into issues and a lot of offices run into issues or maybe they don't run into issues, but they're really missing a solid opportunity to make things amazing. And when we think of our why, what is deep in our hearts, we want our patients to be healthy. We want them to have the best dental health so they can have the best, we, we don't have the best possible health they can. And in order to do that, part of that is providing a good patient experience. So the way my front desk person answers the phone, the way that the assistant goes and greets the patient in the waiting room, all those things help the patient get healthy because when they have a great experience and they build, you build trust, you build a relationship, they say yes to what we recommend. And all, if we're recommending ethically and you know, we're not doing any weird stuff like that, everybody in that office is part of that experience and everybody in that office is part of making a big difference in the patient's life. So I have to have my whole team has to understand that. And we take it really seriously. And, um, and, and I, I think you got to lead by example as well. I mean, I do it as well, but even now I'm not there that often to lead by example. The culture has still stayed the same with the other, you know, associate docs I got and everything. We've got a great culture, great team. We get consistently get five-star reviews like crazy. So I, I think it's comes down to that. We have trained on it. We have talked about it and we have troubleshooted when things go wrong, because that's an indication to us. Something goes wrong, it's time for a system. It's time for a solution. We don't make anyone feel guilty. We just come up with solutions. And that's how we move forward. And that's just the way I've always done my practice. Well, if you think about it, I mean, St Stephen Covey has the Seven Habits book, right? And he talks about deposits in the emotional bank account, right? So all mm -hmm. your touch points, all your those are all deposits. Hopefully you don't have a withdrawal, but like you said, you might take a withdrawal and a withdrawal may offset 50 deposits 
yeah. you know, or 50 plus points. And it is, it is very true. I mean, that one, that one real negative. And I think people, I think people overreact at times to some of the review situation. I think people are a little bit on edge that their whole life is in the balance of one person. And, and I think people <laughs> I use that, that right. They kind of like, <laughs> well, I'm going to leave a review and like, Oh Lord, please don't. I'll give you whatever you want here. I so know. I, I got to ask you now, as you move forward, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because you sold, sure. you said you sold to a DSO. So 2020, like pandemic time. you sold. Yeah. 2020, December, 2020. So you sold to a, a DSO and yet your, your skills and your culture is very deep. I mean, yeah. Now I'm, I'm again, not the brightest guy, but it's clear with that success and that track record that you live, you walk the walk, you live, you live the life exactly as you have intended to. So how does that play into now the world of corporate? Yeah, good question. And, and I get asked that a lot. Um, I, I don't even want to, I'm not going to plug who I'm with. My listeners know who I'm with, but it's like, the the DSO that purchased me or partnered up with me, they are very hands off and they only partner up with larger offices that are doing a certain amount mm -hmm. of collections and they don't want to step on the owner's toes. So, so it's part of so DPO. Yeah. So that was what kind of worked out for me. And that was one of the things that drawn me to them is because I when I went through this whole process of selling, I had some DSOs that were saying, hey, uh, it was, the, the deals were really back end heavy. Hey, yeah. you, you hit this yep. goal, you hit this, you're gonna, we're gonna get you this, look at this multiple, you gotta get this, 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 you gotta jump through these hoops first. And I was like, man, well, I don't, that's kind of hard. Like, what if I don't, what if I don't hit it? Oh, Dr. Edgerson, you're gonna hit it, man. When we get our in there and we get our systems and our training and you get on our platform, oh man, you, you wait. And my, my kind of thing was, I'm nine, 10 years into my practice at this point, we're kicking ass, we're, we're doing great. And I love my team and my culture is great. Like, don't mess with this. And I don't think I could have personally lived with myself if I had done that to my team. For all intents and purposes, if there wasn't a different name on my employees' checks, I don't think they even notice. They would not even know that we partnered with a DSO. I mean, they do know about it, but there's um, not, it's a great group and I, I can't say anything bad about them. But I still run the practice. And some people will say, well, hey, you only own 15% now why do you still want to run your practice? And when I sold, I was planning on getting, they, they came out with a five-year contract. And I said, man, it's got to be three for me. And they said, why are you planning on leaving? I said, of course not. I just want to be, I, want, I just want to be free a little earlier. I want to know I can if I want. What are you going to? Absolutely not. Truth be told, I was planning on it. I was leaving. I wanted to move on and I was turning 40. I wanted to do something new with my life. I don't know what it was going to be. Mm -hmm. And then in this process of these past three years, as I'm getting out of contract now, I think in about 20 days, I realized that I really do like it and I want to be there and I want to be there not for the money. I want to be there because I like being with my team and I like, I like running the office. And I love being with the patients. You know, I, I like being part of my dental office. So it's still my baby. I still love it. And I have no intentions of going anywhere at any point, but you know, on the other side of the coin there, I'm not there all that much. Am I going to go back to four or five days a week? Uh-uh. I can't do that. I don't love it that much. You know, I do so love how, it, but I don't love it that much. Well, how are you able to pull that off then? How are you able to back off? Did you have to bring in somebody to replace you? Yeah. Your, so, your I mean, we've got, we've got four. I, I've always had, a, eventually when we were at capacity the first time, I brought on an associate. When we got capacity the next time, I brought on another associate. Then we expanded. We brought on more associates. So it's me and three full-time GPs and three specialists is what we have. And I think we've got 14 hygienists. So we've got our, our hygiene in Illinois. You can have hygienists see patients without an exam, at least once a year. Um, you can do exams once a year. So we've got, there'll be some days where there maybe might be one doc and six or seven hygienists running, but they're only checking three chairs, the four other chairs or whatever the number is, those are no exam hygiene. So we've got a, we're maxed out. We've got a butt in the chair, you know, 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day. So it's, it's, but th that's the, um, that's the beauty of it. And, and sometimes my team likes to look back to when we was just small and it was me and just, just three girls and they're still working for me too. You know what uh, a friend of they, mine did? They, did you ever consider huh? this? When you what? have seven, seven hygiene patients, seven, seven hygienists, one mm -hmm. doctor does nothing but hygiene exams. He just does hygiene. Yeah. Exams. I've seen that as well. Yeah. I, I've seen I was, from breakaway I, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's like they agree on it and they work it and it, it all pans out. You know, and the yeah. doctor doesn't that'd be an have an exhausting check, day. I think yes. that'd be a lot of talking. I, I don't know if I could do that much talking. Well, maybe you split the day, you know what I mean? But it's it's an interesting <laughs> concept 
because boy, if you're not good at doing exams, you're going to get pretty good at doing exams and yeah. communication and treatment planning. It's, it's just, it's a concept. It's a thought. I might even wear a tie that day. Uh-oh. I might put on a tie, Uh-oh. show up and, you know, shave, make sure I make clean shaving. We're going overboard. <laughs> get all, get all the little hairs out of your ear and pluck the nose oh, hairs oh and goodness. stuff. Make it just a special day. Where are you going, honey? I'm seeing patients. I'm seeing, doing exams today. It's exam day. <laughs> That would be uh yeah, it would be, that'd be totally cool. I mean, that's a possibility too. I mean, there's a lot of ways to do it. I, our goal of doing it is that it's it's always been a capacity issue. Um, mm-hmm. We put in blocks for new patients and we put in blocks for SRPs. So when my hygienist says, hey, I'm scheduling six month recalls out seven, eight months now, that, can we get rid of some new patient blocks? The answer is no, we cannot because we need new patient blocks to grow. So the only other solution is to add more providers. And now we're out of chairs. At 11 and um the dso that has partnered with me has suggested the idea that we expand we get some more chairs and, and add more team and stuff um at 15 percent ownership that that, ju- that juice is not worth the squeeze for me i think things are just fine the way they are and so we're dropping insurance we're dropping delta we are in one other thing we're in an umbrella network and we're gonna i think blue cross is the next one on the list we're gonna get that we're planning on doing that probably in maybe january or february and then it's just little by little hopefully be completely you know out of networks within a year that's what our goal is but i I think once you do it and you find some success and -hmm. your team finds success and then it's very easy for that next success right the next victory comes a little easier because you have a little bit you kind of got a little bit in your back pocket like yeah we've been here before and yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that response before. Let me tell you, here's what we've seen patients, you know, initially it's a little scary. I get that, but we're, we're going to be here or whatever the answer is, you know, you, you work it out, but I think that really helps like momentum, you know? So yeah. And cool. I would say like for us, it was like scary, but going through it, it wasn't as scary as we thought it was. And, and I hate to sound cliche because everyone's like, I don't know. I, I wish, I, I guess everyone says I should have did it years ago. And I'm kind of feeling the same way. I mean, mm-hmm. we dropped Delta. I, I mean, that was something to me opening a practice uh, 11, 12 years ago. I, I couldn't even fathom it. They were, well, the, I mean, they're, I think they're big everywhere, but they're really big where I'm at by Chicago well, area. I mean, you, yeah. you think about it. Let's say you have a nine hour day, three hours are gone, right? Yeah. You said, you said 33%. So, you know, put it in real terms, or if you work a five day week, that's what, that's a, uh, a day and a half approximately. Right. Yeah. You know, wow. Day and a half. That's a, that's a big deal. And there's, there's no question that there should be some, you know, there's a gut check moments for sure. Now I do yeah, want to ask I, you about mm-hmm. culture and associates. Cause I, yeah. I see that a lot on t- online and I know that we brought in a doc recently and we're, and we're big, I think we're big on culture. I think that's one thing that's vital. We're a small town area. And I just, I don't think there's any other way to do it. I just, I'm, I'm, again, I'm not smart enough to have 50 plans. It's just like, this is the only way to do things. And people get that. And the leadership example you used, 100%. If you mm-hmm. don't walk the walk, talk the talk, you are done. You are going to be yeah. found out you're a fraud or whatever they call it nowadays, the younger generation. But you're a phony, right? So how do you, you bring in that new doc. How do you, I don't want to say teach the culture, but how do you mm-hmm. help them ingest the culture? Let's say. Yeah. Good question. And this has been something that we've learned. We've, we've been through seven associates, I think seven total since we've had our first associate. Our first associate was our first associate is still there. She's actually a partner now. And she started in 2015, I believe, but we've so been through a few years. associates. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I would say one thing I have learned from retrospect of some associates that didn't work out. And when I say they didn't work out, I, I don't mean they were bad people or they were offensive or they were bad dentists. I just, I've noticed that people that have become associates of mine that listen to my podcast are not the best long-term associates. And it's for reasons just, I think they're owners. I think they want to be owners and they just move on and they go do their thing. It's not because they're bad people. Um, But I would say every associate we've onboarded, they will get their daily guarantee and they'll get it for six months. And they'll be like, well, I want, I want this much. And I'm like, I don't really care because I've been through enough associates to know 
that they're not going to need that daily guarantee within six to eight weeks at my practice. We're seeing, you know, 150 new patients a month consistently. And um, we have them, we've just started this with our last associate and it was great. We had them just one day a week for the first two weeks, just follow me or another dentist around. And one, I think that's great because you see the communication, but what I've noticed it worked out really well is I think a lot of associates and especially newer grads, they don't realize how slow they are until they see how fast somebody is that's been doing it for a while. And that was, that's the big thing. And so you say, well, you're going to pay them their daily guarantee to follow you around. I was going to pay them the daily guarantee anyway. And whatever patients they were going to schedule for that day, they just moved them to the other days because they got a wide open schedule when they start with me. They've got to build their own new patient base. I mean, they'll have appointments here and there, but I don't lose out on any production by doing that. And I think the gain is so much. And, and to tie that back into everything with culture, I think there's so many missed opportunities with training. We're so scared to shut down the practice. We're so scared to completely close the practice for a whole entire day. And um, I, I mean, I do it three times a year. I'll close my whole practice for a day. And that's a $15,000, $20,000 day op opportunity cost, but it's worth it. It is worth it. Every second of it is, is worth it. It's for us to communicate. It's for us to do the role playing. And I mean, we just had a, or we call them trot, you know what they're called? We call them quarterly meetings, but I was corrected recently that since we only do three a year, they're actually triannual meetings, but I'm going to continue to call them quarterly meetings, but I, they're really triannual if anyone's keeping score. Um, we just had our, our triannual meeting and we did about two hours of patient experience stuff. We set up rooms. I had everybody set up a room and I went and I graded it. And I graded it by how perpendicular that chair was to the wall. And that a provider chair must be in the corner. It must be at a 45. Our TV must be set to HDMI 2, which is a, a computer screen. It's, it's just a wallpaper on our computer screen. And it just says our, says our logo. And that means the sound is off on the television. Um, everything drawer drawer one inch open nope not cool see this tray right here it's a little crooked so maybe i sound anal to people and there's not a patient that comes in my practice and goes man that place is great i walked in the room everything was straight and perpendicular to the walls and oh man it, they got everything you know nobody notices it but nobody notices that things are out of place and that idea came from me just going to doctor's offices and seeing a crooked painting you know, that's just, just somebody just fix that thing, you know, put a command strip behind it. If you can't get it to stay, um, fix it. And then you go there six months later, a year later, that thing's still in the same spot. I mean, it hasn't moved. So if somebody would just straighten it out, maybe it'd stay like the right way, but they don't. And what does that say about the way that they care? You know, that, what does that say about how, to, how do you translate that to my, I care about my patients so much in every little detail. When you, you walk by that detail five days a week and you don't fix it. And I mean, this comes down to my practice. I say, I tell people all the time, especially this time of year, we're in the fall. There are leaves and people bring leaves in. I say, you walk over a leaf and I see you do it, you're gonna be in big trouble. But at the same time, I don't walk over leaves. So I want you to bend down and pick that up. It doesn't look good on the floor. It doesn't make us look clean. I mean, I, I'm not gonna say if there's leaves everywhere, you're gonna have to get down on your knees and pick them all up, but this stuff matters to me. And, and, and it matters to me, so it matters to my team. And I think they respect that. And I think when they go out as a team and they have fun and they have some drinks, they might, they might make fun of me. But you know what? That's great. I don't care. You know, I know they respect me, and that's what matters to me. And uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, we're taking great care of people. And that's what we're out to do. So what have your associates feedback to you as you talked about watching the speed? I, I got to believe because my son, the son's with me now five years going on his five year anniversary this year. Okay. So um, Great. one of the things that that he picks up is is just the sort of the treatment plan or the explanation. So like mm -hmm. a patient comes in and they present a certain way. How do you respond? How do yeah. you answer some of those common situations or a person's like, oh, how come it's that much or how come it's this or. Or what are we right. doing? Or I, I did this. And how do you explain something? Uh, you know, th that's, that's been for him very deep. Like he's even times he goes, I still want to hang out and listen to you talk about implants or whatever. Yeah. It's uh, helpful. Yeah. So I, I'm just wondering from your perspective, what kind of feedback have your associates given you as saying, Hey, these things were so valuable to me. Yeah. It, I think everybody's different. Every associate right. needs different things. And 
every they'll have different skill not, sets and different personalities. Not every associate wants to hear me. Right. <laughs> you know, not every not every associate wants to listen. And I've I had one associate. She was sweet as pie, and she wasn't the best communicator. English was a second language for her, and um, I told her I, I listened to her and I coached her and I told her better words to say. But communication is more than words. She would say the words, but it just never came out right. It never came out authentic, and it always came out kind of mm, not nice, I guess, to the patients. And they complained a lot, and and she didn't last very long in her practice. She was really nice, but it just it just wasn't the right place for her. There is a right place for her. It's just not my practice. Um, well, I've had associate. Mm-hmm. She she wasn't willing to adapt. I don't. You know what? I think she was though. I in, in retrospect, she really did try. It's like I can teach an. This is what I realized. I can teach an associate clinical skills. I can teach you speed. I can teach you how to do things faster. I can teach you how to do complex cases. I can't teach communication. I can't teach you how to be more enthusiastic. I mean. It's like it's like when you go to the interview, the job interview, you're going to get the most enthusiastic, you're going to get the best version of that person. And that's not really not them. You know, they're going to they're going to come out of their shell and be their more authentic self. And maybe somebody has the mental energy to fake that enthusiasm day in day out. I don't think so. In my experience, I can't fix that. I can give I can train, I can help. I I just in my experience I haven't been able to do it. But a lot of my associates have said we, we would have them listen to my new patient exams. I would listen to theirs. I would critique them. I would, I've had a lot of associates that have come to me with case help and actually asked me to come in a room and look at stuff. I'm totally cool doing that as long as we can explain it to a patient in a way that doesn't make it seem like they were in dental school or that they're screwing something up. And then I've had other associates that are just, yeah, okay. You know, they get a little defensive and they don't want to hear anything that I have to say. And if the patients are happy and the clinical work is good, you be you. That's totally cool with me. You can have your complete autonomy. I'm not going to step on your toes, but I've had the other associates that really they they they're using this associateship as the best experience they can possibly have while they're with me, and they're they're asking a lot of questions, and I, I like that. I prefer that. But you've got to see been, like a, a accelerated learning curve, then, right? So, oh yeah, so, yeah. So, Very know, it would be wise to say, hey, listen, you can do your way, you can do this way. Here here's been my experiences with docs in your shoes. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah. I I don't know. Um, you just That's it's like the whole thing the prophet's never the expert uh in his hometown or what i don't know what that oh, yeah. bible verse is but 100%. that's how i feel sometimes they're like i don't care what podcast you have you're just some guy to me and i know what i'm doing i went to four years of school mm-hmm. and i know i'm pretty smart and fast and you can't tell me you can't help me i know what i'm doing i know it's okay cool yeah you, you do. as long as the patients are happy i'm okay you're right that's and I, i'm not good <laughs> at that either but if a person's willing and wants to yeah i got all the time in the world to go over anything so that's, yeah, I mean, I've got cool. a coaching client right now that is um, so humble and such a nice guy, and I'm helping him a lot with clinical stuff. And it's um, it's it's, it's he's he needs help, you know, but he's asking, and he is he's comfortable with me being completely honest that like it's just not very good. It's not very good, man. I, you can do better, you know. It's and and it's gonna. I think it's gonna make a big difference for him. It has been making a big difference, but he has to be humble enough to admit it. You know, if he's going to, if he's too scared to send me an x-ray or a picture of his prep, can't get better. Can't get better unless you know there's a problem. You got to admit, it can't be in denial. So I do respect that. And I'm happy he's like that. And you don't know what you don't know. And as doctors, we think we know everything. So Mm -hmm. we get in our own way and our ego and, you know, or whatever, you know, we, it doesn't look as good as the case I saw on Facebook, you know? Okay. Mm -hmm. Well. That's fantasy land sometimes, you know? Yeah, I got over that. I got, I, I, I came out of school like that. And then right. I think, uh, you know, a few years of dentistry, you're like, well, it's, it's good enough. That's mm-hmm. gonna, that's gonna last 40 years. Yep. It's not perfect, but it, I've seen worse last a lot longer. You know? Yeah, that's fascinating. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, so what are some of the things that you learned going from ownership to now? ownership slash management of a, of a mm-hmm. significant organization. What are some, some skills and things that you think are essential to doing what you do now versus what you did in 2012 when you first hung that shingle? Yeah, I would say the big difference for me now is that I'm not at the practice very often. And when I'm there, I'm doing band and bracket ortho. It's I'm doing what I, I enjoy doing. I have a leadership team. I have a clinical manager who is also my lead assistant. I have a lead hygienist, an office manager, and a lead front desk person. 
And those are the people that I have really strong relationships with that I know what's going on in their life and that I'm spending time with when I'm there and, and they are, have their respective teams. We have a big team. I'm not there that often. There's a lot of people on my team. I don't know that much about, I might not even know their husband's name. You know, I, it's, it's just, it is what it is. We've got 40 plus people and I'm not there that much. But I think what I've realized is that going through this process, I, you need a leadership team. You don't need 40 people to have a leadership team. I mean, I think you, maybe there's a minimum, maybe you should have eight to 10, I guess, but before you have four, I guess you could, you should have one leader. You should not be the only leader. That's what I'm trying to say. You should not be the only leader, but I would say in the past three years, I've really gotten out of their way. And I think they, they're the people that have been with me very long for the longest. And I got to the point where I said, you know what, are you comfortable handling this? And they said, yeah. And I said, you do it. I trust you. And I had to be comfortable to say that. And I had to be comfortable with when it went bad, when something went wrong and things do go wrong and that's okay. Maybe they didn't handle something the way I would have handled it. And that's totally fine. But for me to have the freedom that I have right now, I need to step back and I need to let them use their brains and make decisions. And they got, they're just like kids. I mean, they're going to, they're going to mess up. And when they do, I, we talk about it. We say, Hey, what, what happened? You know, how can I support you? It's not like, why'd you do that? It's not judgment. It's not, you got, you can't do that. Don't do that again. It's like, hey, who, it happened. Let's go forward. What can we do so it doesn't happen again? So I'd say that's that's a big thing. Still, a big thing is it's the communication. I mean, you need to have you need to have meetings, and you got to talk, and you got to listen to your team. They will tell you exactly what's wrong with your practice. You, I have coaching clients that say, well, where do I start? Where do I start? And, and you know, we can look at a practice breakdown and numbers, and we can pick out some areas of opportunity. But you know, you sit down, you do a one-on-one -on -one with every member on your team, you'll have a whole list of things to work on. And those are the things you should be working on today. You need to work on those. And I'd say another big lesson we learned going through COVID was we had expanded in 2018, the end of 2018. So yeah. we were about a year and I don't know what the math is, maybe two years. No, we were about a year and a half in when COVID happened. Mm -hmm. So, so it took on a bunch of team members. COVID happens. We, we stay home. I love to be at home. And we come back and we've got all these weird things we got to do and it's a pain and it's you're wearing all this stuff and it's hot and it's uncomfortable and people are scared and it sucked. But then you, you get back to business and things start running smooth again. But I was battling this from my long-term team, this idea of, I miss the practice when we were smaller. It was better. You know, I, I miss when we were smaller team and I had better relationships with everybody. I felt like we were a family and I feel like we're just too big and we've lost that culture piece. And that saddened me a lot because I came from a big office, my associateship, and that was one of the things I thought about when we expanded. I said, I don't want to have an office like that. And I said, you know what? We can keep the culture. We can do it. It's just going to take intent. We just have to be intentional about it. So what I realized is as we got further away from the shutdown, we started doing social events, like getting together. And this was something that was very big in my practice. Like four times a year, we would get together with the whole team, with the husbands, Every meeting we would go have dinner and, and eat after that, have a few drinks. We would, you know, we're going to each other's parties and stuff like that. COVID happened. And I think the team at the time said, our, t our office is big and the culture is not as good. But what was in reality, it was the social bonds we're missing. Right. And when we started hanging out as a team again, that all came back and the culture took care of itself. People want to, people will work together well with people that they respect and they know and they enjoy being around. And the only way to get them to enjoy and be around each other is not the only way, but it's, it, you should set things up as the owner. And when we do these shut down our practice for a whole day, it's a half day meeting. It's a half day social event in that half day social event. I pay everybody their hourly rate to come eat and drink and have fun and, and go. And, and it costs me a whole bunch of money, but I, I want them to go. Now we do a lot of events too, that are optional that they don't get paid for. And I would say eh, maybe 70% of the team will show up to those consistently but it's it's it was really eye-opening because there was such a part in the back of my mind of saying man you made a mistake why did you expand you should you knew this was going to ruin your culture you knew this was going to come turn into a high volume place that you don't like being at and coming out of covid i realized now no it what it wasn't the size it was you can still have a great culture and have a big practice it's it's the things that you're doing it's the way you're leading your team and it's the way that you're you're getting together. And I think everyone's just kind of stressed coming out of COVID. I mean, it, it, oh yeah. I don't one day we're gonna explain it to your kids. I mean, but so, I so my were, daughter so were your yeah. patients mm -hmm. on a different way too. 
What's that? So were the Mm -hmm. patients in a different way. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody was different. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. You know, if you're in in one room and you hear someone talking in the other room, you could see people actually turn their head like they're not used to having background noise. You know, it was something as simple as that, that I took me a while. Now we have different, excuse me, multiple offices. So when one office opened, you know, we were like, oh, that's what we noticed. So when the other office opened, we were like, listen, here's some things you're going to see. You know, like there was a room and a person was coughing, you Look, know, run. Yeah. The patient in the next room, the run. Two rooms, they left, they left the office. I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this. I was like, yeah, okay. I, I, I respect that. You know, hopefully you'll get, you know, past that, but it's, it's unsettling. And I, I just remember that was, uh, that was, that was traumatic for a lot of, a lot of people outside of our team that was impactful mm-hmm. for our team too. So I remember seeing my first patient after this was during the shutdown. I was going in one day a week and just seeing emergencies. Mm -hmm. This is like the week following, you know, when they were about to do that tip off of that basketball game, they're like, no, get out of here. They got COVID and everyone's running out of the stadium. Uh, Mm -hmm. I remember she opened her mouth and I looked at at her mouth and I was just like, ew, gross. There's virus everywhere. I could know it. I just know there's virus in there. I'm getting sick. Why am I so close to this? And, um, I want to like, I want to remember it. Like I was this brave soul that didn't care. I, w- I was, I was worried. I, yeah. I, I was scared of it. Yeah. And that's, you know, I got vaccinated and the first round and, and, and people say, do you regret it? Yeah, maybe so. But you know what? It made me feel really good when I got it. And I was like, I could live again, mm-hmm. you know, Absolutely. Immune, but not to, I, I don't want to, you know, let's not even go there. You should edit that out, Sonny. I haven't had a conversation about vaccines in a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to move on. Let's just but, go. Let's but that's on. the truth. I mean, you got to you got to remember the time and place, you know. And, yeah, and of course, yeah. right? Rear, rear view mirror is always clearer than the front yep. view mirror. So, uh, so let's talk. Um, let's talk a little bit. You talked about your coaching, right? Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about um, patient experiences. Okay. Let's talk. Uh, let's just spend a couple minutes on. Everybody kind of covers the new patient experience. Let's cover your your hygiene experience. Let's cover what sure. your patients come in that you see on average twice a year, hygiene. And do you routinely only do one exam for each patient, or is that just when you're scheduled? Uh, certain patients want it every six months. It's okay. it's up to them. You know, All we right. will give the patient – they'll because – we always give the patient the option, do you want to see a hygienist? Do you want to see a certain doctor for your exam? Or do you want to care more about the time? You know, we all share patients. It's it's, it's in the patient's hands, whatever they want to do. Um, I would say for our, our recall exams, you know, it's it's more like, you know, we, we make sure that we meet the patient halfway into the room, into the waiting room. And that the reason I want to do that is because if I see a friend at a party, I really like him, like her. I'm not going to just wave to him and shoo, come on over by me. You know, come this way. No, we're going to meet in the middle because we it's mutual. So I want to meet, have we meet in the waiting room mutually at the same time. You know, we're moving towards each other. Then we're going together towards the operatory. Um, you know, we, honestly, we, we don't have too many protocols revolved around the recall exam. But what things that do happen every time is that we will take the diagnostics. The hygienist will uh, look around the mouth, perform a cursory exam. You know, it's not really an exam. If you guys can see the video, I'm throwing up the air quotes. And they will come and they will give us a post-it from the doctor's room and it'll say, this is the time the patient needs to get out by. So I want a 30-minute window to check hygiene. That's a big part for me is because I can't check, th- I'm often checking three counts of hygiene. I mean, currently I don't check any hygiene anymore, but we check three counts of hygiene per doctor at my office. And that is by doctor choice. If they want to check two columns of hygiene, that's all they want to do. That's totally cool with me too. We've had people do that, but I want a 30 minute window so I can check that and I can look over at this post-it and know that I still have time here. And if I need to get up in the middle of procedure, I will, but it's really hard when the hygienist comes, when they got, you know, six minutes, five minutes, they got to get that patient out of there and get the next one back. That's not enough time. That's not enough time for me. So, but they will always, they will put that down. They will go, they will do their profi and they will talk to the patients about things that they see. They'll sit them up. They'll show them pictures, everything that we're going to diagnose. I am the second opinion as the doctor. I am never the first opinion. And my team knows that I will never be the first opinion. You guys are always the first opinion. I will be the second opinion. And I just feel like it just works better that way I don't know why it just does. I, I don't have a psychological principle to explain it. It just works better when the hygienist is the first opinion and I'm just agreeing. So 
uh, the way we do that is we have to go through cases together and we have to make sure we're on the same page and we have to discuss why we might diagnose this, why we will treat plan this. So it's not like you just hire somebody and you put them in that role. No, they need to learn under you and learn the way that you diagnose. But um, I, I say, well, I'm change, I'll change gears and go to the new patient exam because when we bring the new patient back, we will, they will sit down, they will introduce themselves, they'll tell them how long they've been working at the practice and they will tell them three things about the practice. We've got a list of maybe seven, just prompts that they can say like, hey, we've been open since 2012. We've got X amount of doctors. We really take a lot of pride in what we do and the way we take care of people. We, we take pride in being a one-stop uh, home for all of your dental needs. They, they can say whatever they want, but I want them to say three things. This comes back to that priming thing. And then they're gonna ask, they're gonna say, this is what we're doing today. You know, we're taking x-rays. It's not we're taking x-rays, we're cleaning your teeth. So we're taking x-rays because we're checking the bone levels and we're checking between your teeth for cavities. So everything they're going to say we're doing, they're going to explain why they are doing it and why it's beneficial, adding value to the procedure that we're doing. And then they're going to say to the patient, I have you here until 2.30. Is that okay? Because if the patient thought it was going to be a one-hour visit for their new patient and they're just coming in their lunch break, they're not going to tell us until it's about 15 minutes when they have to go back to work. They're like, hey, how much longer we got? And then we're like, oh, man, we're not, we're not even close to done. And then it's, then it's a hurry, then it's a scramble, then it's an upset, and it's a bad experience. So if they have to be out of here and they, were on, on, they didn't realize how long they were going to be there, we're going to know about it and we're going to cut something out of the diagnostics. We're going to step on the gas a little bit. We're going to make sure we get them out on time. So that's why we always ask that. Um, we go through the perio measurements. We say them out loud. They sit the patient up. They go through the x-rays. They go through all the pictures. Um, then they come and they come and get us. They tell us what's going on, but we're going to go in the room and they're going to say it again in front of the patient. So we'll say it in front of the patient. Then we, uh, I like to ask a certain amount of questions, ask them if they're proactive or reactive. Do they like to fix problems before they happen or do they want to kind of break things as they fix? Most people will say proactive and I will loop that back into my conversation with them when I'm doing treatment plan, when I'm presenting. And I will ask them, what is your goals? I said, everybody is different with how they feel about dental health. What is the goals for your, for your teeth and your, your dental health and your smile? What is, what is ultimately your goals? And it's a weird question. And it's, there's an awkward silence every oh, time. Yeah, I most people because, are back backwards. Like when you ask them that, what do you mean? What am I? Oh yeah. Yeah. I know. I've I'm never just here for you to do your thing. Yeah. And I'm like, you ought to have goals. You ought yeah. to have goals. Um, so we go through that and, um, there's, I'm trying to think of some other things we do. Like, so I'd say, for instance, here's another one little tidbit for everybody. When you go to take a pano or a cone beam down the hallway, how many times does your patient say, should I get my stuff or should I leave it here? Should I leave my stuff here? Like, what do I do? So why not just say, Hey, we're going to go down the hallway and take an x-ray. Go ahead and leave your stuff here. We're going to come right back. You know, um, it, little things like that. You know, it's, it's like telling the patient if they ask where the washroom is, we're going to walk them to the washroom, but we're not going to stay outside because we think that's weird. And we, we did do that at one point. But then we say, hey, do you know how to get back to the room? You're room number five. When you come out, go this way, this way. I'll be waiting in there for you. You know, because we want them, to, I want them to know. I don't want them in the bathroom wondering, are they waiting outside the door? Mm-hmm. You know, and then you're, they're, it's, just, it's uncomfortable. So I, I don't want to have any uncomfortable moments. So we talk about this all the time as a team. We come up with, if there's an uncomfortable moment, what can we do to make it not uncomfortable? What can we, can we address something that's a common issue that we see before it happens? And that's where the, that whole idea of the panel comes. We, you know, we did this at our, our, our triannual meeting. We sat patients and we role played. And some people were, we have two entries into our operatory and some people put them in the right door and some people let them in the left door. And people are like, well, why do you even care, man? Why does it even matter? Because when they go in the right door, we have a hook on the other side of the chair. If they want to hang something up, they got to step over the chair. And it's a big step. You know, it's not a very big operatory. They're like eight by 11. So they got to step over the chair. But if they go on the left side and they want to hang something up, that hook's right there. They don't have to step over the chair. Does it make a difference? I don't know. Nobody's falling yet, but you know, it, I want, we're going on the left side, guys. Well, I like to go on the right. Nope, that's not how we do it here. You go on the left side. And I get the same pushback over those hygiene post-it notes that I was saying. Sometimes the hygienists don't want to fill it out. And they say the other doctor doesn't need it. I said, well, still make it. Why? He doesn't, he doesn't look at it. Well, I still do it. That's how we do it. Don't break, don't come in here and break these systems. You know what I mean? It's like, we, we're, we're doing this, we do it for a reason. So it's, um, but yeah, I, I could think of just a million things. There's, I, I feel like sometimes I should make a list of a hundred little quick ones like that, but there's just so many little things you can do just to make a big difference. 
you know, you, warm you towels. Have, do you have it written like a written list of, of things? We've we have like done a manual. We have a comfort, yeah, yeah, we've we've got a comfort menu, and we just did that about a year ago. So that's a new one for us. But we, I was like, yeah, we we do. And when, when my team came to me and they said this, and I said, what the heck are we going to put on a comfort menu? Are you serious? Like this is this is ridiculous. And then they're like, well, we could put that. We have the chapstick. We have the earplugs. We got the blankets. We got the neck pillows, and they, they, we got the headphones. And I'm just like, oh man, we do have a lot of stuff to put on here. People don't even know we have this stuff. Let's just do it. No, I, I so meant. Do it. I'm sorry. I, I meant like, no. okay, here, here's here's our protocols, like your, mm-hmm. your SOP stuff, right? Like, oh, here's our standard. Operating oh, with procedure. the team, yes, yeah. yeah. So we have what we call our movement sequence. That's it. That's the name for our scripts. We have scripts. There, I don't like to call them scripts because we're not saying exactly what to say, but um, we call them a movement sequence. And yeah. it you're, just you're, says you're, you're allowing say this. But you said you're yeah. allowing people to be them, their real selves. You ask. Them oh yeah, you got to find what. Yeah, yeah. Put it in their own verb. You got to find what's that's, you. That's everything. Yeah. Is authenticity. Yeah, I'm, they got to say it. It's got to come from them, and, and they can say whatever they want, but they're going to say three nice things about the practice. And, and you know, another thing I forgot about is that when the hygienist will come get me, they they better know three things personal about the patient. They're going to tell me one of them because I'm going to come in and, hey, I'm Dr. Hutchinson. So nice to meet you. Welcome to the practice. We're so happy to have you. Hey, I heard you're going to Vegas soon. Is that true? What are you doing? Yeah. You know, it's like I want to I want a prompter. I can discover on my own, but why put me through that? Just tell me something I can just open up with and that I can connect with the patient for just – Get to know them a little bit, spend five, 10 minutes just getting to know them before we start talking about teeth. That makes a huge difference. And sure, it does. We do that at the new patient exam. But, you know, on the other way, our recall exams, I want to do that recall exam when the patient's on their back because I want to interrupt. I'm going to say, I want to knock, knock, knock. Hey, so sorry. I was just, I'm just about to start something. I just want to pop in because I don't want you to have to wait. Wait. I didn't want to wait till after the exam or after the cleaning. So I want you to wait. So I'm getting in and out. That is the way that I can get in and out of a hygiene recall exam in less than two minutes. Mm-hmm. So probably less than a minute, to be honest, you know, because I'm interrupting. The patient's sitting up when I get in there. It's time to talk about the family and catch up and do all that stuff. And I don't want to sound callous like we're not a relationship practice. We are, but when you're checking three columns of hygiene and you got two patients in the other chairs, it's, it's nice to be able to get in and out for mm-hmm. a recall exam. And as far as I'm concerned, they don't, they don't care about me. They're there for the hygienist. I mean, they like me, but... I mean, I, I'll tell you from me stopping seeing new patients and me stop seeing my recall patients. There was uh, some of them that said, oh, I'm, I'm only seeing Dr. Edgerson. But I'd say most of them were like, okay. They didn't love me as much as I thought they did. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, they're, and, they're... <laughs> and I'm, we're, we're, we're experiencing this with, with Delta now, too. We, we had some patients. We had some families leave. We said, them? Are you crazy? Yeah, right. I would have never thought they'd leave. That's that's a big point yeah. Chad Johnson brings up when he when, when he and I have talked. Like you think oh this person you went in and you took care of them on Christmas Eve or whatever the case, mm-hmm. they're never gonna leave. That's a lifer, and they're that's leaving for commitment. five cents, you know, or whatever it is. No, yeah, yeah I hope you call me next Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they, we they will. Those. I mean, people, yeah, they will. They'll be like, hey, my my other my my new dentist can't get me in. Yeah, he won't even call me back on the weekend. Yeah. Um, can you do that for me again? Yeah, I, I was I was thinking. And then they'll, they'll probably throw in, uh, yeah, you know, me and the family, we've been thinking of coming back to you. And I think, but, you know, I got this problem. Yeah. And you weren't thinking of coming back to us. <laughs> yeah, whatever. whatever. So, but, yeah, we've got, we've got people that bring us pie. They bring us pie. How can you bring me a pie every time you come in? And then you got to go somewhere else because I don't take Delta. <laughs> you got to bring them pie now? You better not bring them pie. I know. I missed that pie. <laughs> Just dropped a pie up on your way there. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. We still we don't take Delta, but we take your pie. Bring That's your pie. Right. Here. This, is a, this is a pie gullible zone. Drop it off. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I want to ask you, because you we mentioned it briefly, uh, you have an upcoming course. You want to mention that? You want to bring up what that, yeah. or what that course entails? Yeah, absolutely. So I um because I keep talking to you for I, I hours, so keep going. <laughs> yeah, I'm having fun. So, um, you know, I, I I've been coaching for about four years now, and I think over the process of doing that with working with a lot of offices, I've realized that there's certain things that most offices need. And I had a coaching client maybe six months ago who was just we're talking about leadership and leads and and hygiene leads and assistant leads, and he's setting up that leadership structure at his office. And he said, man, do you think my, my hygiene lead could talk to your hygiene lead? And I said, yeah, for sure. So they did. And then his front desk lead talked to my front desk lead. And his office manager started having calls with my office manager. And he just started crushing it. And I said, oh, my gosh, this is the missing piece. This is what it is. I mean, I've, helped, I've always helped my clients. But 
I, I think me and this doc, we went through, we got through a year, year's worth of coaching in two, three months. It seemed like that he was just progressing so fast. And that's the power of getting your team involved. So what I have created, I'm calling it the Dental Practice Hero Omni Practice Program. And it is a seven month program and it's, it's online instruction specifically ta tailored to what position you are. If you're, it's, there's different tracks for all the leads, all the different front desk people, all the different assist, assistants and stuff. And there's a different track for the doctor and it all slowly releases out with assignments and checklists during that seven months. So it's, it's not throwing it all at you to overwhelm. It's like, let's do this. Here's our month's goal. We're going to make these checklists, this checklist, we're going to come up with, we're going to come up with how do we verify insurance this month? We're going to start implementing this aspect of scheduling. So we've kind of just rolled this out to be a nice and slow way to systematize an office and establish a leadership team so that the doctor doesn't have to do so much. And we, we just kicked it off about two months ago and it's been going fantastic. And the content, I, I, I was planning on using a bunch of recycled stuff I made five years ago. And I watch those videos. I don't even know who that guy is anymore. I'm like, who is this guy? You know, so now I'm, I'm re-recording everything because I feel like, and that's kind of what I did with my second book. I wrote the second book because it was, it came from a different uh, spot of experience. And as you know, Sonny, we're interviewing people and a lot of our questions we're learning as well. Yes. You know, like you, you learn a lot by being a podcast host. So yes, I wrote do. that second book for that. Yeah. And that's, so I'm redoing all these videos and I'm just, I'm so excited for it. I'm so proud of it. And I would say I haven't been as passionate about uh, anything in a, in a really long time. You know, it, it's, this is the way, the way I feel about this program is the way I felt about my practice when it opened. I'm just, I just loving it. And, and I'm not trying to get to that end where I'm done recording the videos, which is kind of like these videos come out slow. So I only got to get two months ahead of where my clients are. So I'm, I'm not done with it yet. I'm, I'm still recording. But I'm enjoying the recording and I'm not trying to just get it done. So it's uh if anyone's interested in that, check it out. It's at dphcourse.com. DPH is a uh, dental practice heroes, or you can go to dentalpracticeheroes.com. It's available there as well. But yeah, I'm just super excited about it. So we have a coaching program that goes with it. It's coaching with my team. My team is talking to your team, and I'm also talking to you as the doctor. And then we have the self-paced course. If you don't want to talk to any of us, that's cool too. You know, you can also buy calls if you want a la carte. That's cool with us. But yeah, we, we've got both programs available and I, I plan on just continuing to add to that library because I, I just enjoy doing it. And I just I just love taking complex you know, systems and just break them down and, and making them simple. And, I, and I've seen it from the past four years of coaching. It just works. It just you do the right things. You do the best practices. You might not get the same results I got, but man, you get pretty damn close and you'll be happy with it. Folks, it just works. That's the message. Yep. I, I couldn't <laughs> agree more. Works. No, I really couldn't agree more. It's. <laughs> It's it's really you have to have the conviction of, of of your purpose, right, or the purpose of your conviction, one way or the other, and then you just live you just live your life according mm -hmm. to what you what you've said. So to me, that's that's that great word of call intention. You're living with intention. You're practicing that you're doing things intentionally, not by accident, and you know good things follow. Uh, I'm firm believer in that myself. Like, All right. I have a so, GPS and, uh, and, and I would say just to add this, not to cut you off, Sonny, but no, no. I think this is useful is that my guiding compass at the practice is every single decision I will make It is to help the practice be a great place for patients. But even more importantly, it's got to be a great place for my employees to work and every decision will fall on those two things. And if it doesn't fulfill those two, it's not something we're going to do. hundred percent. Now I got to ask you a final question. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the first time that I've interviewed you, so I got to ask this question. All right, if you could go back in time, anywhere, time or place, mm -hmm. do anything with anybody, where would you go? Where would I go, man? That's a. We should you should give this to me before. I could have thought no, about it. No, no, no. You yeah, I got to just be on the spot. Top of the head, too. Top of your head. Dang, first man. You know what? <laughs> I want to go back to college. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what's funny is I want to go back to like sophomore year of undergraduate. And, and what's funny is my wife said, because me and my wife have been dating since we were like 16. And she's like, well, what if we wouldn't have worked out? Then we wouldn't have these kids. Would you risk that and still go back? And I said, yeah, I, I think we'd still find each other. And she said, but what if we didn't? I'm like, well, I, I, I'd be fine. I'd still go. I still want to go. I still want to go back to college. So I would go back to college living in my house with, uh, we weren't in a fraternity, but me and my seven friends and. Man, I we we didn't go to class. We 
I mean, we we did we did good. We everyone turned out okay. I I didn't go to class very much. I I read the books and I studied online and stuff. It, it, as weird as online was back in when was this nineteen yeah two thousand one. Uh, but yeah, it was just a fun time. It just it's it's so funny to look back on undergraduate and think of how like hard it was compared to high school. And then looking back, I'm like, dude, you 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 had like twelve hours of classes. You had twelve hours a week. You had to be somewhere. You drank five nights a week. You went to, you partied like crazy. You know, you had the time of your life. It was great. So I would go back to that. No responsibility. But I, I would like to go back to that age. But I don't, if knowing what I know now, I don't think I could tolerate hanging out with like 21 and 22 year olds. Um, I would, I would struggle with that. Like I can party like a 21, 22 year old, but until I party with them and I'm like, I don't want to party with you. So, so we can. <laughs> That's great stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, uh, Paul, I appreciate you very much, man. This was a great time. And we'll put <laughs> hey, thanks, we'll son. put in the show notes how to contact Paul, how to get in touch with him. Dental Practice Heroes podcast, the books. Uh, as you can tell, it's it's real, it's authentic, and and it's and it works. So, thanks a million. Thanks for listening to the Fee for Service Dentist podcast. If you would like to share your fee for service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also. Be sure to join our fee-for-service dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. This has been a Rogue Media Network 